Good morning, everyone. Our reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, good morning, everyone. Uh, there's been many things that have moved me as I've watched the footage, the reporting, the news around the, the death of the Queen. I'm sure that has been for you too. Not least the fact that the woman that we called our sovereign knew that she had a sovereign too and knelt, I believe, every evening to pray to, to her God. One of the things that's particularly touched me has been just talking to my own 86-year-old mum and hearing her say how deeply she feels the loss of the Queen, this woman who's framed all of our lives. Um, and I, I think there's that sense that when we lose something that's really important to us, we ourselves kind of feel a bit lost. That's what I sense with my mum. I think it's perhaps what, as a nation, we'll be feeling over these next days, kind of losing of our bearings, a, a disorientation, a lostness. And so I think it's just so beautiful that the, the gospel reading in the lectionary for today is about lost things, about lostness. Jesus was always in the business of telling us things about God, wanting us to know what God was like. And this passage is, is one of those. It's, it's familiar, isn't it? Not quite as familiar as the bit that comes next, which is, of course, the, the prodigal son. I think the, the lectionary saves that up for Lent. Um, but here we are with these, these two familiar parables. And we're told at the beginning that 
tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus as he went about on his mission, declaring the kingdom of God, teaching people, healing people. Sinners and tax collectors were drawn to him. And I find that fascinating and also, and also moving. And the only reason that I can think that These people who knew themselves to be the rejects of society, the outcasts, the uh, the people who knew themselves to be people whose lives were a mess, were somehow drawn, they were somehow drawn to Jesus. The only reason I can think that could be is that there's something about Jesus that made, made them feel welcome, made them feel accepted, made them somehow feel okay about themselves, and so they wanted to be with him. He was called friend of sinners, wasn't he? In in a couple of places in scripture, Jesus is called friend of sinners. And I remember once hearing, actually also at a funeral, someone say, you know, the thing about a friend is that it's not just that you like them, but it's that they make you feel liked. (laughs) A friend makes you feel liked and and perhaps also helps you even to like yourself a little bit more. It would seem that Jesus had that quality, that people were drawn to him because they made, he made them feel liked. But then we we read that there were also, amongst the people who were kind of following Jesus around, there were also Pharisees and teachers of the law. They also recognize this about Jesus, this quality, and they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. But for them, it wasn't a good thing. Something they were critical about, they muttered about it. They saw it as something that discredited Jesus. He was breaking the rules. He was hanging out with the wrong kind of people, keeping bad company, sharing food with the wrong sort of people, and enjoying it, it seems. And it seems like they were enjoying him too. So he, he, for them, he was crossing the line and perhaps making God a little bit too available or a little bit too accessible. So Jesus is aware, very aware of these two groups that are with him and are so polarized. And what does he do? But tell stories. Always the the master communicator, knowing the power of a story such a brilliant way of communication. He, he just tells the stories and lets them speak for themselves. He lets people find themselves in the story and lets them draw their own conclusions in a way. And I think that's the invitation for us too, isn't it, here today, to, to, to find ourselves in the story. So there, he tells these two stories, one about an owner of a hundred sheep who loses one and leaves the other 99 and goes looking for that one. 
And he tells a story about a woman who has ten silver coins, who loses one, and then turns her whole house upside down, looking for that one. So I think what we see in these two stories is that Jesus in front of his audience sides with the sinners and the tax collectors. And he defines sinners not as people who are intrinsically bad, but as people who are lost. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because although the sheep was lost, although the coin was lost, they didn't lose their value. They were still worth hunting for and finding. The stories, these two stories, are about someone who's searching for things, not blaming. They're about finding things and not condemning. And they're about celebrating and rejoicing when things are found, not punishing. Jesus is telling us something about what God's like. And we're invited to let the stories do their work in us. So I wonder where you find yourself in those two stories. And I wonder what's going on inside of you as you ponder them. I'd like to just uh, share some of the things that, that I find going on in me, if you'll just indulge me. <laughs> um, first of all, there's part of me that is profoundly grateful that in the places of my life where I feel I'm still a bit of a mess, where I know that maybe my relationship with God blows a bit cold, isn't quite what it should be, where I know I'm a bit selfish and self-focused, that Jesus still welcomes me, accepts me, wants to hang out with me and eat with me. And in those places in my life where I might feel a bit lost, a bit insecure, not knowing how to handle certain things, wondering what's coming, feeling perhaps a bit alone, Jesus will always come searching for me, looking out for me. I'm profoundly grateful that that's what God's like. But then I also recognize that there is a part of me that actually identifies perhaps also with the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. There's a bit of me that's critical. <laughs> There's a bit of me that would actually rather get it right in the first place than have to repent. There's a bit of me that would, be, would rather be perfect than to need grace. I don't know if that makes sense, but I recognize it in me. And um, it puts me in mind 
as something that I read perhaps a couple of years ago, and it's, it stayed with me, and it's, it's someone's description of what it's like to have a relationship with God. And they said this, it's like there's someone dancing with me, and I'm not afraid to make a mistake. And I think I loved that for various reasons. Firstly, I, I love the fact that God could be pictured as someone who wants to dance with me, who wants to partner with me in the unfolding of my, my one and only beautiful life. The God who wants to dance with me. And I love it because I think that means I'm never alone. There's someone who's partnering me, who's holding me, and I'm not alone in this world. And then I love it perhaps for more than anything that that last bit, and so because of that, I'm not afraid to make a mistake don't have to be afraid of getting it wrong. I told this story once to uh, an Argentinian friend of mine, and of course the Argentinians are great tango dancers, and as she heard the story she said, you know, it reminds me of when I was learning to tango, learning tango, going to tango classes, and she said everyone in the class wanted to dance with the teacher. I couldn't believe it. I think that's the last thing that I would want to do, dance with the teacher. But she said, the teacher just made you feel like you were the best dancer on the, on the floor. He made, you, he, he made it feel like fun. He just kind of swept you up in the dance. And uh, I, I just, I love that, that picture. I, I'm not in any shape or form a dancer. Um, but interestingly, I, I think some of you know I was in Moldova two, three weeks back. And uh, at the end, I was leading a retreat for five days. And then at the end of the retreat, it, it was someone's birthday. So as is the custom, there was a celebration and people danced. <laughs> and I got roped into the dancing. And so what the, a Moldovan kind of style dance is, a, is a, a communal dance and everyone holds hands in a great big circle and you kind of go round. And one of the ladies taught me some of the, the basic sort of foot, footwork and, and off we went. And for the whole time, where do you think my attention was focused? Absolutely on my feet. My eyes were glued down to the floor looking at what I was doing and, and trying to, to keep up with everybody else. I don't think I had any awareness of the music, of who, who I was with, what everyone else was doing. I'm just solely conscious of the way that my feet were moving and how they were getting it wrong, essentially. Um, when you danced with the teacher, According to my friend, it wasn't like that. He swept you up into the dance so that suddenly you were just loving it. And it didn't matter what your feet were doing. You were having so much fun. So the mistakes didn't matter. But the joy of the dance and the participation, that, that, it, that is what mattered. And perhaps... In the partnership and in the joy 
you learn how to dance by becoming part of it. And the teacher didn't make you feel silly or bad or exposed. The teacher swept you up into the joy of the dance. So could it be that that's what the sinners and the tax collectors experienced when they were with Jesus? He didn't expose them, didn't make them feel bad, swept them up in the joy of their lives. Or is that making God just a little bit too available, accessible? What do you think? There's a story uh, that Cardinal uh, Basil Hume, Cardinal of Westminster, told about his own childhood. And uh, he tells how he was raised by a good but rather severe mother who would say to him, my son, if I see you stealing an apple from my pantry, I'll punish you. And then she'd quickly add, and if you take an apple and I don't see you, God will punish you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he recognised what that had done to his image of God. Um, It created for him something of a harsh image of a God who's watching critically to see when you get it wrong. And as he grew in his Christian experience, he discovered that perhaps what God really might have said is, my son, why don't you take two apples? (laughs) And I love that. I love that. There's more... Rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need to. Repentance is changing our mind about something, isn't it? To have another mind. And I think these sinners and tax collectors were changing their mind about who God was as they hung out with Jesus. They were changing their minds about who they knew themselves to be. They were getting caught up in the joy of a dance and perhaps they were learning how to live their own lives differently. And that's something that the angels in heaven rejoice about. So let's, let's pray a moment. Just as you close your eyes, may you know there's someone who's dancing with you and you're not alone, ever.
you're caught up in the one who wants you to know how deeply loved you are. How in perhaps your lostness you matter. You're worth hunting for, searching for. And you don't need to be afraid of making a mistake. So Jesus, thank you for teaching us about what God's like. Thank you for being one who comes to find us, not to punish us, comes to look for us, not to condemn us, comes to celebrate us, not to reproach us. Teach us to enjoy the dance. Teach us to trust you. To let you partner with us. Amen.